Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And I'm Esther Ikoro, And we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry at dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. My agency, Burt Creative, was founded virtually in 1997. My workforce has always been distributed and remote. My staff have worked from their cars, coffee shops, co-working spaces, even while standing in line at the grocery store. This is pretty typical of creative agencies like mine. Um, However, even though I've experienced working virtually, I am truly, legitimately, honestly working from home now. Um, Many of us in the creative industries, we have children that should be home, but they're not in school. So for example, where I am, There are zero systems in place to do any type of virtual learning. The teachers here are not permitted to use platforms like Google Hangouts, Zoom or GoToMeeting, for example. Um, They can't go online and engage live using these platforms with students. They can't teach the students using Zoom or Google Hangouts. It's not possible for a number of reasons. Um, One of the reasons is that some of the children don't even have access to technology. So it would be difficult to run a classroom if everyone in the classroom can't access the tools. So it's like the teacher's not going to give a class instruction if everyone can't benefit from it. Um, There's other things in place, um, of course, that's prohibiting this from happening um, for the students and the teachers. Um, But, you know, fundamentally, technology is is a challenge. Um, the main thing for me, though, and, and this is why I want to talk about something a little bit different this time, um, you know, our podcast is always about entrepreneurship and small businesses and how, to, how average ordinary businesses can be successful um, with their businesses, how they build it, how they do it, how, how are they building online, how are they changing and transforming and pivoting. Um, but right now, as a small business owner, um, my, my biggest barrier right now is that my children are at home and they're not in school. So it's, it's causing um, some challenges for me as a, um, as, a, as a business owner to get my work done effectively. Now, I understand that people are working for their companies and their home, and they have a huge ecosystem of all kinds of things in place um, to help them continue to do their jobs. Um, not saying that it's better or worse, just the challenges are a little bit more unique for small business owners and entrepreneurs. So today I'm going to be talking with Robert Runcie. He is the superintendent of Broward County Public Schools. I want to learn about what his district is doing to get students back to learning. Um, I want to know what types of technology he might be using. And I want to understand all this because we're all trying to um, do the best we can to manage our quarantine during the coronavirus. Um, And I think that talking with him 
will be interesting because he is at the forefront of a lot of super powered, interesting technologies. He's also an innovator. He's a tech guy. And I think he can maybe talk a little bit about what they're doing at, in, in Florida, specifically Broward County, to try to mitigate some of the um, issues that we're all having as parents, as working parents, as small business owners, to try to get our kids back to a learning environment. So I'm really excited to be talking to Bob. Um, I've known Bob for a very, very long time. He um, is originally from Chicago, and I'll let him tell the story of how we met and um, you know how he ended up going from Chicago to Florida. But I think this will be fun. So um, stick with me and listen to this really amazing conversation. Robert W. Runcie is superintendent of the nation's sixth largest school district, Broward County Public Schools, with over 270,000 students in 337 schools and approximately 30,000 employees. Mr. Runcie knows firsthand how a high-quality education can transform a person's life. Born in Jamaica, he moved to the United States as a young boy and became the first member of his family to attend college, graduating from Harvard University and earning an MBA from Northwestern University. He later founded a management and technology consulting company and held several strategic leadership positions with the Chicago Public Schools, including serving as its chief information officer, chief administrative officer, chief area instructional officer, and chief of staff to the Board of Education. Bob joined Broward County Public Schools in 2011. With the support of a dynamic school board, Runcie developed a fresh and innovative strategic plan for the district, focusing on three key areas, high-quality education, continuous improvement, and more effective communications. As part of these strategic goals, Bob spearheaded technology innovations in the classroom. Among the initiatives is the Digital 5, Pathways to Personalized Learning Project, which provides a blended personalized learning environment for students and teachers from 100 elementary schools with laptops, digital resources, online instructional materials, and other learning tools to maximize student learning. In addition, under his leadership, Broward County Public Schools became the only Florida school district selected for a unique partnership with the national nonprofit organization Code.org to increase students' opportunities to learn computer science in schools. Hi, Bob. Hi, Ginger. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I am really grateful that you're coming on to the Honest Field Guy podcast. I'm appreciative of you because I know that this is a moment of crisis and change in the United States. And I know particularly it's challenging for you because you are the superintendent of Broward County Public Schools. So I think that, um, you know, taking out the time to talk to me right now, I'm grateful for your time. Sure. I'm glad to be here. And, you know, what I would say is that, um, you know, leadership isn't about what happens when things are going well. It's really about how you respond to uh, crises. And we certainly had our share in Broward, as you know, from uh, we get our share of hurricanes. Of uh, also, we've dealt with uh, probably the biggest tragedy we've had, which is the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, shooting tragedy, and now uh, we're dealing with this global pandemic. Um, so for us, uh, we've definitely developed a lot of experience in how to deal with um, crises and respond to them, um, and that's you know just just part of our our leadership experience and learnings in Broward County. Yeah, and it's pretty pretty amazing um, watching it work. I think that all the things that I've seen from a distance, you know, calling in from Chicago, of course, um, just watching how you've handled with grace and calm is something that I really look forward to. But before we um, get 
too far, I really want to have a little bit of an idea about your early life and business inspiration because people um, haven't really heard of you as much, you know, maybe in Chicago or other parts of the country. So I want to have an understanding of your background a little bit. You were born in Jamaica, right? Yes, that's um, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And you went to Harvard. How did that happen? Uh, it happened because of a couple of things that I think all of our kids need today. One um, is someone or some people in their lives that really care about them, that can push them, motivate them, hold them accountable. Um, so I had two great parents who sacrificed a lot uh, when they immigrated to the United States to um, ensure that we'd have an opportunity for a better life. Um, to get access to public education and just work hard. Um, so uh, having uh, two hardworking parents, um, you know, they, they worked hard and, and, you know, they struggled quite a bit, but uh, we always had food on the table and shirts on our back. We never went on a vacation. We never went out to dinner, to movie theaters, uh, but the basics were uh, provided for. Um, the second piece is the uh, public education system. Um, our public schools, uh, have the ability to um, give our students uh, what they need to succeed. Um, and, and, you know, I was fortunate to have teachers who uh, focused in uh, on me and pushed me and encouraged me to apply to college, even though that was, wasn't my intent because I didn't believe I had the resources uh, to be able to uh, consider that dream. Um, so the, the public schools were a big um, part of that. You know, that I, I started my career out in the uh, private sector and learned a, a lot uh, from working a variety of, of businesses. And then I went on to get my master's in management from Northwestern um, Kellogg School of Management. And um, so I've got a very broad mix of career experiences and you know, when you look at our public school systems and the public school system I run here in Broward County um, is the sixth largest uh, public school system in the country with approximately 270,000 students, um, a $4 billion budget, and about 30,000 employees. That's a large Fortune 500 type company. It's a large, complex organization. We have the largest transportation fleet in the county. We put over 1,000 buses on the road every day. Uh, transporting over 70,000 students. We serve um, over 30 million meals a, a year to our students. So it's a large logistics operation as well. And of course, um, the core of what we do is teaching and learning, which is provided by um, 15,000 um, dedicated um, teachers, uh, educators, and administrators in Broward County. You have to be able to um, balance all of those at the same time. And so I think the experience I've had through uh, business, um, as well as through the work I've done in Chicago, in particular Chicago Public Schools, um, certainly prepared me for the work I'm doing here and the background to deal with um, challenges and crises um, as we've been confronted with them. It's interesting. Um, You know, you could have stayed in the private sector. So when you were growing up with your parents from Jamaica, did they instill such a powerful platform of education in your spirit that you decided to bypass the private route and go public? I mean, you know, you, I just am curious about how that actually happened to you because, you know, going to Harvard is one thing. I mean, usually my understanding of Harvard, when I think about it, I think that Harvard prepares you for private sector wealth, right? But that's not where you landed. So 
how did this happen with you that you decided to take this um, transition to the public sector? Yeah, you know, it wasn't, you know, something I initially had planned. I started off my career working at um, Arthur Anderson at the time. I worked uh, with a local um, CPA and management consulting firm in Chicago called Washington Pitton McKeever, which was started by the first black woman CPA in the United States, um, Mary Washington. Uh, was able to um, get a lot of great experience there. Had a great mentor for someone I have enormous respect for, um, Lester McKeever, uh, who's a, a business icon in Chicago. And I, I worked at Computer Sciences Corporation. And I ran my own business for a number of years doing management consulting and large scale, what they call enterprise management systems, such as Oracle um, and SAP implementations. Um, I got into the public education um, kind of on two fronts. Uh, I had children that were in the Chicago public schools. Um, I was on local school councils, um, kind of heavily involved um, in schools. And then one day I received a call from Arnie Duncan, who was the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools at the time, um, asking me to provide some assistance and really try to help them with some of their um, technology and business operations. Um, So we had a number of conversations about that. And I initially joined the public school system to work there for a couple of years to make a contribution and just, you know, continue going back to work in the private sector. Um, I really got hooked on the mission of uh, public schools and it reminded me of uh, the benefits it provided to me. And, and I saw it as a place where I could really make a contribution, a lasting contribution and affect lives and really affect the entire community. When today, in this crisis that we have with this global pandemic, um, I think everyone's getting a really strong appreciation of how central and critical our public schools are to the functioning of our entire economy, our way of life, um, the development of the next generation. Um, I've come to a realization that there's really no more important work to do than this. And I feel fortunate that I happen to, you know, have the career path that I had to to get into public education. So it, it was an evolution for me. I didn't start out saying, hey, you know, I'm going to get into um, the public schools and be a great educator or an administrator. Um, you know, it, it evolved, um, you know, over time. And I think a lot of the dots got connected for me. Um, you know, and I believe the universe puts you where you belong um, at the moments you belong there. So again, I'm, feel blessed to have this opportunity to serve uh, my community here in Broward County um, and really trying to um, be an example for the nation and, and push uh, to continue to improve our public education model uh, in this country. So Arnie Duncan, you know, we know was the United States Secretary of Education under our first Black American president, um, Barack Obama. So with Mr. Duncan, um, how was that, how did that relationship transform, enhance, or inform any of your success in education? And was there a technology piece around that as well? Yeah, I mean, I did a lot of work in Chicago. I ran technology operations and I moved up and became the chief administrative officer. So I ran everything outside of academics. And then 
at one point I became an area instructional officer with a portfolio of over 20 um, schools um, where I, you know, principals um, and teachers and other staff, um, you know, reported to me. So I had a great experience, um, great variety of experiences there. Um, I think what the main thing I learned from Arnie um, um, is, you know, just to really uh, at all times maintain, um, you know, your passion and integrity for the work that you're doing. Um, you know, Arnie um, loved kids, loved the community. Um, it always did the right thing, um, even if it meant um, losing social, political capital. Um, and so I, I think as a, a role model in um, integrity um, and leadership, um, he, he was outstanding for that. So that those are, you know, that's the biggest takeaway I, I got from working with him. And it was a pleasure um, to serve in his administration. I love that. So let's talk about technology. What have you created since becoming the superintendent of Broward County Public Schools to get the district online? Is, is, it, is the district even online? What, what, is, what has happened since you've you know, become? We've made some significant investments over the last several years. Um, one of them being in what um, is called our Canvas Learning Management System. Canvas is a fairly popular learning management system used in many school districts and uh, in many colleges and universities around the country. Um, It provides a lot of resources um, for um, teachers, um, students, as well as parents. There's um, digital versions of our textbooks. Um, Teachers have uh, lesson plans that they develop that they can also share. Um, And so uh, we, we have been able to leverage and grow that particular platform. Um, We've also developed a secure learning environment here. So all of our students and teachers, um, there's a a single sign-on authentication process they go through for security. Once they pass through that, um, they're moved into Canvas, which basically provides a virtual classroom where the teacher can see every student. Um, They can have conversations with them. they, she can, or he can also monitor um, conversations among students. Um, they give out assignments. Um, coursework is actually submitted to them. The majority of our teachers um, are are using that system. Um, this crisis now has given us an opportunity to ensure that every teacher has migrated to it um, and is going to leverage that platform to continue education with our, with our students, uh, basically a blended learning um, format. So we're really fortunate to be able to have that in place because what many other districts are doing is looking at third-party uh, solutions and cobbling together um, a hodgepodge of disparate vendor solutions and just offering that out to teachers and students. We actually have a learning environment that we've created Uh, in Broward County. So that's been a big um, foundation for us to move on. So that piece is in place. Secondly, in 2014, uh, our voters passed a referendum, which we put out to them to uh, provide dollars for 
um, technology and school renovations, we have been able to use those dollars to uh, purchase over 95,000 computing devices. Uh, that has helped us to reduce our student to computer ratio from six students to a computer to two to one. And in many grade levels across the county, it's one to one. Um, so over the past eight days, we have successfully deployed and distributed um, over 83,000 computing devices to our community. Today was a Saturday was the last um, distribution that we gave out. And I think today we had somewhere around 18,000 we distributed. Um, the first distribution was about 64,000, uh, a little over 64,000 computers um, as well. I'm really just sort of taken aback. I, I feel like everything you said is, is remarkable and amazing, and it sounds beautiful. It sounds to me, though, Bob, that you had preparation in advance of this. And so I want to understand, because you are a, you are what I consider a technology superintendent. You're all about the tech, you know. Um, you didn't come from the classroom. You came from the private sector tech space. So if, if, if anything is making sense to me right now, it's really like, oh my God, if, if, if there's anybody perfect for this environment, it's actually Bob, um, you know, Bob Runcie, because he understands technology. Um, it sounds like you had things in place before this happened. Um, where did you get your insights to help you be prepared? Because you're kind of now, it sounds to me like you're building on things that already existed. And I feel like in other districts, that I've seen across the country, they didn't have anything to build on, which goes back to your point about people putting hodgepodge solutions together. They're probably making poor decisions. They're probably overspending on platforms that don't make sense. They're probably signing contracts for, for, for platforms that are going to lock them into a solution that's going to be antiquated in another 18 months, right? So like what types of, where are you getting your insights? Or are you, how, are you, how are you figuring out how to set things up in advance in preparation for a future of growth, expansion, pivoting, or change? Because you're ready for it. Uh, you know, one of the things I would say, well, first, um, let me say, yes, we have a lot of components that were in place, uh, but it's still, you know, a, a lot of work, um, a, a big, you know, lift for anybody to pivot your whole entire education system in two weeks so that you go from classroom-based instruction to distance learning for everyone, right? Okay, That's so new. wait. So let me just ask you this. So, I work from um, a virtual space. I have had a company for over 20 years and my workforce is distributed. This is the first time I've actually worked from home since I had a baby, right? So yeah. my children not being in school, I have three of them, yeah. is causing a hardship on all small business owners across the country, right? That's so it. what I'm trying to understand is um, you're saying that no, whether you had a system in place or not, this ramp up is going to cause problems for any school district across the country, right? I mean, even if you're prepared it's gonna, like you are. It's going to cause challenges because technology is not about bits and bytes. At the end of the day, it's really still about people and processes and how they engage with it. That's how you create value and new opportunities. And so, yes, we're going to have teachers and students in a very different way. It's one thing to have the online blended learning model, working within the confines of a, a, 
a structure where you've got classrooms and teachers uh, physically interacting. They're also interacting online, but when they're not in the same space anymore, um, and it's through this distant format. Now, look, we we actually have a entity that's part of our school system, uh, which is an option for some kids. It's called Broward Virtual um, University, and in, oh, we have over we have over ninety three hundred students who do all of their instruction uh, remotely, uh, you know, with instructors, online, et cetera. So one of the things I'm also noticing um, in Chicago specifically, um, the teachers at scale, at scale, don't have the technology training. And this is, this is, you know, this coincides with, you know, general public as well, right? I mean, a lot of people don't have technology skills to live in an environment like this. Even people that work at tech companies, when they actually are working from home, they're starting to see the challenges and barriers that even small businesses and entrepreneurs have been dealing with in terms of trying to get things online. So are the teachers at Broward County Public Schools getting, have they in the past before this crisis hit, have they been getting technology trained to learn how to use these platforms or what does that uh, look like? Yeah, they, they've been getting training. So prior to when we announced we were closing, um, 58% of our high school teachers uh, were using Canvas regularly, uh, 40% of our middle schools. And then you saw a big dip when we went to elementary, it was only 19%. Um, so, which you would kind of um, expect. Um, so, we, we certainly could have mandated that everybody um, shift over to it, and some are saying we should have. Um, it would have made this transition even smoother. Uh, but, yeah, so we, we're, we've been constantly um, training teachers. There's enough of a critical mass of them that they can certainly have their own, you know, like support networks in the schools. So, so we believe that um, we, we've got enough critical mass of folks that we will be fairly effective. I'm actually excited about this opportunity and what it means okay. for the um, future of teaching and public education. I think it's going to force all teachers, uh, our you know young generation, um, you know our more more experienced um, senior veterans. Um, they're all going to now. Um, be able to leverage a tool that I believe will enhance their productivity. It will enable them to uh, create greater personalized learning experiences for students. Um, and so whenever we get back to some sense of normalcy uh, where we actually can open campuses up, uh, I don't see these tools and infrastructure going away. I just see them being used even more. Generally in the United States, there's a huge digital gap, um, not just in education, but in business, access to technology, things like that. Um, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you have tried to bridge the digital gap with Black and Latino students, if you've even done that at all, maybe you're just trying to bridge the digital mm-hmm. gap for everyone. But what are some of the things that you put in place? I read something about um, you have a relationship with Code.org, which has transformed the district yeah. education model. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? So uh, equity and access to educational opportunities is a cornerstone for our strategy in terms of um, programs and opportunities that we implement in the district. So 
for example, on the computer um, device uh, front. Uh, we deploy technology in schools um, with the calculated purpose of making sure that the student to computer ratio was the same in every school, in every community in Broward County. And so the average was six to one, but we know in many of the communities that you reference, it was as high as 10 to one, 15 to one. And then in more affluent communities, um, it was half that or somewhere even in some cases, they could have even been close to one to one. Well, when we de deployed our technology, we gave more technology to the schools that had less resources. So at the end of the day, when we were done with the first phase of the work, everybody was on an equitable platform. When we became the first district to um, sign uh, a national agreement with code.org, um, we, um, we made sure that computer science was available to every student in, in Broward County. So uh, at the time, I think maybe about five years ago, we had uh, less than a thousand students that were taking coding and computer science. Um, today, that number is over 50,000 uh, because it's in every um, school uh, and is almost every grade level in Broward County. I feel like the way that you operate, you operate from a place of strategy and insights, right? There's things that you have learned and experienced and things that you research and you've seen to help inform your next decision. So you're not just sort of, you know, you know, figuring it out on the fly. Um, I would like to understand how you came to this place because I think other districts are not coming to this place. And I, I can't figure out why. Is it because you did come from the private sector and you are an African-American male that went to Harvard um, and you're, an Im you're from an immigrant family. You know, you have two beautiful daughters or do you have three daughters, Bob? Three, three you of actually them. have three daughters. What am I saying? Yeah. You, have three you know what? You have three daughters and, and you know, you have a beautiful, beautiful wife, super, super smart. Um, you know, somehow you're, you're figuring out how to be in front of this and you have particular, particular competencies around the digital divide for minority students. So I would like to understand, um, you know, how you got to this place. Because I want everybody to get to this place. Again, I, I would say it's, it's less about the um, technology as it is about trying to ensure that you can provide um, consistent, rich educational experiences for students that will prepare them to be successful in the 21st century that they're going to have to go out. And there's virtually nothing that you're going to be involved in um, in, in the world where technology, uh, some level of coding is, has to be part of your wheelhouse of uh, productivity that you have in order to be um, successful. There are tools out there we know can be helpful, but I'll tell you one of the things that you, we did on the technology front, and that is recognizing that you can't have the wild west of technology going on in your district. Um, it's always a challenge because when you've got you know, over 200 schools, everyone's out there with their own favorite programs and so forth that they've been using. And 
um, you got to create some discipline in the organization and people don't like change. So when you start doing it, folks kind of push back against it. Um, and then after a couple of years, they start to see the value of it and begin to use it. And you start really getting the return on investment um, that you're looking for. And so um, we've tried to rationalize our um, our systems here. So for example, a few years ago, we found we had over 50 different uh, reading programs in our in our primary grades. And that, that was just way too, just no discipline, coherence, um, especially when you have mobility going on in, in any district, um, it becomes a problem for kids and families. So we stripped that all away and, and created one consistent um, uh, program um, and learning strategy for literacy across the whole district, and then got the whole entire community involved in it as well. Um, and so when we think about the technology space, we're do, doing something similar. We created a learning management system and made that the requirements for that. So every piece of technology solution that we start putting in a district, it needs to fit into that architecture. So it's like a puzzle. So we're not going to buy anything that doesn't complement the foundation that we have decided on. So um, that's kind of really helped us to, to uh, move along and create an environment that's a lot more um, co- uh, cohesive in terms of how the pieces work and the strategy behind it. Sounds like you're tech agnostic too. I mean, it sounds like you're you're not necessarily, you know, you know, hooked on Apple or hooked on Google, right? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're really coming from a place of, um, you know, where can, where does the most value come from and how is it sustainable and how can we grow it and scale it and still, you know, meet the needs of our students? Um, that's what I'm hearing from you, which I think is great. Um, I am kind of interested, um, you know, I want to go back to the digital divide again, because I think there is one. Um, I see it in business. I see it in small mm-hmm. business. I see it every day. Um, definitely see it in Chicago. Um, we do have challenges here in Chicago with students not having access to computers um, at scale, not having internet access at scale, right? And definitely teachers not having their own um, understanding of how these tools, these online digital learning tools actually work at scale. There's a couple around that, that are really amazing already. They've got YouTube channels, a couple of teachers have done some TED Talks, you know, things like that. But at scale, it's just not there. You, you mentioned a lot of things. I mean, it doesn't sound like there's a simple solution to fix these digital gaps, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just not seeing an end in sight, Bob, and it worries me because when I think about the future of jobs and where employees are coming from, that are staffing these tech companies and staffing these medical devices companies and staffing these app development companies, like where they're coming yeah. from, which schools right. are coming from. I feel like, oh my God. So, yeah, so that's, that's why that, yeah. that's, that's why this whole thing with code.org became so um, important for us and why we were like the first um, district out there in, in, the, in the country to go sign agreement with them. Cause I, I saw the, the value of that. One of the things that, you know, we knew at the time is that there were over a half a million technology-related jobs in the United States that were vacant that couldn't be filled. And so these tech companies are going overseas. And these are well-paying jobs that our children can um, get the opportunity to take advantage of. And it seems a shame that we would not 
position our kids to be able to take advantage of it. So um, I mean, well, well paying so, is an understatement. Yeah. So we, well, we, so we <laughs> amazingly paid. Yeah. So what we did, we started with the hour code. It became the largest um, site in the world during the first couple of years for coding. We were doing it in every classroom across the whole system um, on the same day. So that it grew. Then we added um, the new computer science course on, on coding. And at one point, I think this was like three years ago, just about now, where um, I uh, received a call about our data at, from, at the college board, which has the advanced placement college level courses, right? So they have an AP computer science. And uh, what they told us is that, uh, interesting data point is that in Broward County, we had more um, black students, African-American students sitting and taking the advanced placement computer science exam than the entire rest of the state of Florida combined. So I think the, the opportunity space is there to um, you know, create uh, that kind of environment uh, to make sure that our students are better prepared for those opportunities and we're not letting half a million jo- jobs go unfilled. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I think about that all the time. I'm like, how do I make sure that my kids are, are set up, you know, for that future of um, amazing um, income equality is how I like to look at it. You know what I mean? Like, how do I yeah. get them on that pathway? And, you know, you're all about the pathway, Bob. That's what I love about you. So listen, this has been great. I just have a few uh, final questions to ask you. Um, I really appreciate your time talking to me about this because, you know, now that we're here, I'm like, who has the knowledge? I'm like, Bob Runcie has the knowledge. So, um, so three things. This is like my closing segment. I call this tech obsessed. So um, what was the last thing you saw her or heard about educational technology that, that surprised you or made you extremely happy? And that could be an app. It could be, it could be like an app. It's almost like when someone asks you what's your favorite song from like the seventies, like this is like a tech question. Like what is the coolest thing that you saw? Or heard or thought about or said, oh my God, that's so great. I, I was really pleased. Um, and I, I think it just shows the dedication of teachers, how many teachers sacrifice their spring break time to um, ramp themselves up on the technology, make sure that they had lesson plans in place. Uh, many of them actually connected with their students, um, making, making personal calls um, as well. Um, just getting prepared for this new distance learning uh, model. Um, What's the one piece of technology you would love to see come to fruition that you think could change um, the educational space? Artificial um, intelligence. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> like, artificial, like, like, I'm like, artificial I'm intelligence. pumping my fist right now, Bob. Yeah. In a medical space, mm-hmm. artificial intelligence now um, can do things that no doctor can do in terms of the number of medical cases that they can look, you know, a system can look at at one point in time and how certain treatments have impacted thousands or hundreds of thousands of cases and being able to predict for a specific patient that this medication will work or not work based on their genetic makeup and, and do that with like, you know, almost 100% um, certainty. It, it's, it's really amazing. That type of technology, that ability to customize education down to the unique needs of every single student is, 
never going to come to fruition until I think we adapt and leverage artificial intelligence. Look, it'll never fully replace, again, the teacher and the relationship teachers have with students. But we need to start looking at technology as being like a teacher aid Mm -hmm. um, and a support in a classroom. I think that's how teachers are going to have to do it. And I think that's where the profession has to go. You know, we're, we're having a conversation with a company now that's probably a world leader um, in virtual reality. And, you know, I've been over there looking at uh, things that they've created, like a virtual teaching assistant that looks as real as any human. Then you can put the goggles on and they'll work with you. And it, it's really amazing. And I can imagine yeah. a classroom where you've got several students working with literally a virtual um, teacher while the teacher of record um, is working with some other students and you've got another group that can kind of work on their own. Uh, but it, it can be an amazing um, thing for us and it, it really could uh, help to uh, equalize the playing field uh, for many in public education. But uh, I love that, that idea. That's not going to happen without technology. Well, I mean, I, I love that can happen. How, I mean, just, you know, I do have one more, one more final question, but just jumping off the artificial intelligence. Um, what about, what about students with, um, with um, disabilities or students yeah, that yeah, have yeah, yeah. Um, physical yeah. impairment, they can't feel touch or that they, they may not be able the, to the see. The technology, anything. artificial intelligence yeah. is going to create the greatest benefits for them. That's better why, than better than anything we have right now. No, that's why they're gonna. That's why we really need to push it. What okay. look you 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 look at so many kids uh, depending on what you know their um, disability is, or I call sometimes special ability. Um, they uh, they can um, leverage um, technology and respond to technology sometimes in ways that are far significantly better than traditional classroom instruction. And so, yeah, so we got to continue to work to perfect that. Um, yeah, so that's the, the I love that. benefits from it for sure. You're giving me chills. Okay, my last piece is, um, if you could ask one thing from two of the world's most powerful educational technology companies, which are, of course, ding, 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 Google or Apple, what would it be? Mm. Uh, you know, I think it goes back to this whole other thing that we talked about is is help us figure out a way to make um, technology accessible um, in all communities everywhere um, in this uh, country and you know it's at the end of the day it's gonna it's gonna benefit them but you know we we need to where we've got uh, digital deserts out there that needs to be addressed kids need to have access to devices um, and they need to help us to figure out how we can work with teachers um, to change um, education um, so that it can be customized, it can be far more engaging um, for each and every student. And what does the help look like? Are you actually asking for, you know, high-level strategic consultation, you know, plans, spreadsheets? Are you asking, I mean, what does that so help I, I, look like? I think like? what's, you know, charter schools are an interesting thing, right? So the whole idea around charter schools was that they were going to be the R&D arm of public education. That has not materialized because they just opened schools, in my view, in many cases, that look like the school down the road. 
but there has always been a real opportunity there. But I think public schools are going to probably have to figure out how to do this on your own then because it's not happening in that space, which is, you know, how can I create some very unique education models and partner with entities like, you know, Google and create different types of schools and experiences um, and then look at how those models can work and be expanded um, at scale. But we've got to start doing that kind of experimentation now. I'm, I'm actually having conversations with, again, a, a, a world-leading uh, entity um, in the virtual reality, augmented reality space. And, you know, I'd love to be able to set up a whole entire school where the teaching and learning was revolved uh, and, and, and leveraged on their technology. Wow. I mean, you are amazing, Bob. I, I, you know, I'm like, I have chills and I'm breathless. I just, I'm excited, breathless because of my excitement. Really want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you to the audience that's listening to the Honest Field Guy podcast. Good luck and Godspeed and wish you much, much fortune going forward as we continue to go through the COVID-19, um, you know, crisis, Bob. Thank you again to our audience for listening in to the Honest Field Guide podcast. And please subscribe to the Honest Field Guide on Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts. And I'd love to hear your reviews about our show. Um, once again, I'm Ginger. And I'm Bob. And thanks for coming on the Honest Field Guide. Have a great day. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbuehl and Estery Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Ikora. E.